It's almost 1 a.m. on Friday morning, March 5th, and I have been working since about 8 o'clock Thursday morning, off and on. I had to stop to do things like put the kids to bed and make sure everybody got their showers and that kind of thing, but it's been a really long work day, and I am ready for sleep. That's Kristen Seamus, the health and gender reporter at the Detroit Free Press. Or at least that was her title before the novel coronavirus hit. Now she's pretty much the COVID-19 reporter. I'm working on a couple of stories tied to the one-year anniversary of the first COVID-19 case here in Michigan. As you can imagine, it's been a pretty intense year for Kristen. She, like everybody else, was working to get her family through the pandemic. But every day, she was also responsible for reading about it, writing about it, asking questions about it, tracking breaking news, seeking trends, and synthesizing it all to make sense for worried Michigan families. So around the one-year anniversary of COVID-19's arrival to Michigan, the We Lived It podcast producers sat down via Zoom with Kristen to talk about what this year has been like for her. I'm sitting in my closet at my house in Grosiel, working at home. Um, along with my husband, my three kids, my two dogs, and a lot of times my mom. We Lived It is a special audio project. It's produced by the Free Press in partnership with the Michigan History Center, and we're documenting stories to bring us together during the pandemic, but also archiving those stories for future generations. For Kristen, like so many others, the pandemic has touched every part of her life. I want to start out um, last year, we're at a year now, but can you take me back to that day on March 10th and what you were doing, what you recall? I spent that morning writing a story about how Michigan was one of 13 states that had no COVID-19 cases. I kind of wonder sometimes if I jinxed it, although lots of people would say that it had nothing to do with that, (laughs) you know. Um, So I wrote that story, and then I thought a lot about how it was also primary election day. I actually worked from home. I remember because I had to vote that day and I had a couple other things going on that I would just work from home. And so I sat at my dining room table when Governor Whitmer made the announcement. Uh, I am joined tonight uh, by Dr. Janae Kaldun, our chief medical officer. That we had two confirmed cases, or I think at that time the language was presumed positive cases. I've signed an executive order declaring a state of emergency. And she declared a state of emergency. And so walk me through your first few days of coverage. What does that look like for you and for your family? The days got a lot longer. I mean, I already worked long days. Most journalists I know do. Um, But when COVID hit us, it became unbelievably long days. We're talking 14 hours, sometimes 16 hours, uh, day after day week after week, a lot of times I don't get a day off during a week. I'll work through the weekend. Well, so I'll keep luck. you updated, all right? Okay, I've got an interview here in a second, and then a Whitmer conference, and then who knows what else. Okay. So right. It'll be a busy day. Thanks, hon. See ya. The school districts were all going to close down, and so then it was, how do we manage that? And 
We don't have three extra computers at home for all three kids to do virtual learning. We were trying to figure out, like, how do we get groceries? What is the emotion of working those long days and the number of stories you're doing and the types of stories? It's really stressful, and you start to worry. You talk to people whose family members are so sick, they're getting hospitalized, whose family members are dying. And how... How have you been coping with her still being in the hospital, still going through what she's been going through while you're doing your own recovery at home by yourself? It's been difficult because we've been together for 20 years, and I'm so used to having her by my side. I've seen, and I know too well, that it was real. The virus is not a hoax. It was killing people, and I was talking to those people every day. I was talking to the people who'd lost their loved ones and had their family members in the hospital, and I didn't want to see my family go through that. Where are you going? Because I know we've talked, and you were having to go on scene for a lot of things. Yeah, that was another really challenging thing. So At that point, we were trying really, really hard to get into a COVID-19 unit. And we needed to talk about that not only on a professional level, but also as a family. Was the family willing to take the risk of letting me go into a hospital where there are patients with COVID-19? And is that risk worth taking? And if we're not going to let the kids play with their friends, but we're going to say it's okay for me to go into a hospital COVID unit, you know, there's a disconnect there. Um, But I talked to my mom, who was the most at-risk person in our family, who, you know, was in our bubble the entire time through the pandemic and really helped us survive it. Ultimately, everyone agreed that it would be okay for me to go in knowing that I'd be, you know, wearing full PPE. So this one goes first under my hair, right? I'd be taking every precaution that I could. Um, and that we would still agree to minimize risk in every other area of our lives that we could. This strap goes over the top. This strap, though, what is this? It's going to go up over, and then I see after? Yeah. Okay. All right, so this one first. You talk about a story load where it seems like it's probably hard to find time to eat lunch. It absolutely is. A lot of times I don't eat lunch, and it's 1.30 in the afternoon right now, and so far my food has consisted of a bowl of cereal, and a handful of Cheez-It crackers. And that's probably all I'll eat until dinner time. Hey, how are you, Sarah Vera? Good. What's going on, kiddo? How much? No, I'm on deadline. Um, I'm on deadline and trying to wrap up this story and then I'm gonna go to Sam's hockey game. Do you wanna come? And tell me a little bit about how family time fits into all this. Yeah, there are some things that are just super important to me, and one of them is that bedtime. Especially you, Amy. Oh, good, said Amy. You know, you left that part out when you explained this to me. Really love bedtime, and I try really hard to help the kids get ready for bed every night. I love to read to them. Sandor added a goblin death glare from the doorway. Is that what it would look like? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That looks like a pretty good goblin death glare. Usually somewhere between 8.30 and 9 o'clock, even if I'm still trying to work, I will take a break and I will go downstairs with them if they have a bedtime snack and I will read at least a chapter or two from whatever book it is that we're reading at that time. Once I put the two youngest ones to bed, then I go in and I talk to my eldest daughter, Julia, and I spend, you know, 
15, 20 minutes just sitting on her bed and talking to her about her day and what worries she has and what she wants to do the next day and how I can help her. It didn't mean it changed anything for me, said Sophie, earning a snort of protest from Sandor. Oh, Mommy's friend's calling. Hang on. Hi, Chris. Hey, how are you? Doing okay. How about you? I'm okay, thanks. Sorry, I missed your call. I was trying to help you with this piano lesson. I get it. (laughs) You know, there comes a point where you decide to either take the call or not take the call, to check the email or not check the email. Sometimes you don't have a choice. Sometimes you have to take the call. My big fear was that the kids would contract the virus, not know they had it. They'd be asymptomatic. They'd bring it home and they'd get my mom sick. We had lots of conversations about it. My middle school daughter is still really afraid of the virus. It, it makes her anxious and nervous. She came to my room one night and she said, Mom, I don't want to bring home COVID and kill Grammy. You know, and she was just sick about it. She was crying and, and really having a hard time wrapping her head around the idea of going back to school when there was this potential risk. That sounds like a really emotional thing to have your daughter come and cry and saying that she's worried she's going to kill her grandmother. Um, and you've got all this research now on it, but like, what, what do you say to her in that moment? Uh, that's when you say, you know, even if you caught the virus and even if you brought it home and got somebody sick, it wouldn't be your fault. You know, that's what I tried to tell her and tell all the kids is that it's a pandemic and the virus is everywhere. You know, it's just reassuring her that You know, no matter what choices we make, there are no good ones in a situation like this. You know, talking about that risk assessment, I mean, your family has been directly impacted um, by COVID, correct? Yes. So my uncle contracted COVID in December. Have you heard anything about Roger? He's in the hospital because of the, the fluid retention in his lungs and all throughout his body. And he's been in and out of the hospital, and he was moved to a rehab center a couple of weeks ago. So is this, like, congestive heart failure? It, it's, he has congestive heart failure. He and then last week we got word that he is back in the hospital, and he now has congestive heart failure and kidney failure. Um, he's got so many issues that... And do we think it's all tied to the COVID? Well, I think, you know, COVID made, made it worse, yeah. for sure. And he's still, of course, on oxygen because he can't, he can't breathe without it. So, wow. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. So I don't know. And we don't know if he's going to make it through this. And that's a really hard thing to think about because we haven't seen him in two years. And, you know, it could be that the last time that I saw him is the last time I'll ever see him. I'm so sorry, Kristen. Thank you. It's a hard thing. I just, I feel really sorry for my aunt, his wife, who is alone and, you know, very sad and very scared, and we don't know what's going to happen. We were at a hockey game over the weekend, and there was an argument about somebody not wearing a mask. You know, my mom was there. She was watching the game, and someone walked by without a mask and sort of gave her a look. You know, she said something about, you should really have your mask on. You know, my brother-in-law is dying. And the woman turned around and said, called her my mother a very colorful name for saying something about, about that. 
So <laughs> it's, it's kind of ridiculous how polarized it is. When it's your loved one who's dying in a hospital and you know that that mask can make a difference and maybe possibly save somebody else from having that same pain, it's really hard to understand why it's such an inconvenience. So winding down here, and I appreciate all the time too, um, you've had a, a particular experience with this, deeply with work and deeply personal. How do you look back over the last year? Oh, boy. It's made us more resilient and made us realize that we can, um, what's the way I want to phrase it? The tower can come crumbling down really, really easily. It doesn't take much. It's one tiny little microscopic virus that can cause all of this pandemonium. Please remain cautious. Wear a mask. We are in the worst weeks of our experience with COVID over the last nine months. We are in it right now. School buildings obviously now are closed for this school year. And I hope that going forward, we'll realize that we're very vulnerable. And I hope that next time we'll be better prepared, that we'll have planned for it, that we'll have better protocols, better procedures in place so that it doesn't end with so much stress and loss and devastation. Well, Kristen, I think that does it for me unless there's anything I have not asked you about. I think I've asked you about everything under the sun, but um, (laughs) thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. Take care. Okay. Have a great one. You too. We Lived It is reported and produced by Carrie Jr. II, Tad Davis, and me, Darcy Moran. Thanks to Kimberly Mitchell and Kristen for the audio in this episode. We also owe a special thanks to our partners at the Michigan History Center and especially Mark Harvey. Our executive producers are Marianne Struman and Anjanette Delgado. Our editor is Peter Batia. Everybody has their own story to share about the COVID-19 pandemic. Submit yours by leaving a three-minute telling at 313-288-0370. That's 313-288-0370. And check out freep.com to learn more.